And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And this is the final Novak Now program before Rosh Hashanah, before the end of the year, and of course before the beginning of the new year. And I think it's a good time to to look right now at the at the major, major stories for Jewish Americans right now. Uh, I know that the high holiday services and the high holiday gatherings that we used that we're used to having year after year are going to be much modified this year. I don't think people are going to be having uh, a ton of people over at their homes. Although I think a lot of people will have family over for Rosh Hashanah meals and things like that. I just don't think it's going to be as large for some people, and of course, some people will probably not have them. And then as far as our interactions in shul, I mean, this actually might be the first time (laughs) that people of all levels of religious observance uh, go to shul on, go to synagogue and services on Rosh Hashanah and really only daven (laughs) and and, and not schmooze and not talk and chat with everybody because the crowds will be smaller. And I know a lot of synagogues are going to be doing shorter services and doing multiple services in the day, or they're going to try to hold stuff outside um, and there certainly won't be any time for schmoozing. Of course, nobody, I, I've never heard of a synagogue that has a kiddish or any kind of thing like that on Rosh Hashanah. If there is one, I want to join it, but <laughs> that certainly won't be the case this year anyway, because that stuff's been cut back and, or completely canceled because of COVID-19. So all those things, you know, will lead us to a different kind of, of high, high holidays, different kind of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and all that kind of stuff than we're used to having. But there will still be a lot of the familiar elements and there will still be opportunities for us as families, as Jewish families and as communities to, to get together and talk about stuff. And what are, the, what are the things that we should really be focusing on? What are the major, major events, the major factors going on right now? that the Jewish community, both in the United States and, and in Israel, but all over the world, really should be focusing on. And I think that the answer is easy right now, at least for what our top story is, and that is these, these peace agreements, these official, public, open peace agreements that Israel has been making in the last, just the last couple of weeks. I mean, leading right into Rosh Hashanah, we have the peace deal first with the United Arab Emirates, and now Bahrain piggybacking off of that deal. And a lot of people, a lot of analysts, especially economists, believe the Bahrain deal is even more important because Bahrain is such a bigger uh, a bridge to Saudi Arabia than even the UAE happens to be. But the fact is, these are major, major events. For those who say, not incorrectly as far as the, the first part of their facts, for those who say there's been some level of cooperation between Israel, the UAE, and Bahrain already for a while, that's true. But if they make the—a lot of the people will make an incorrect—and you'll hear people saying this in your Rosh Hashanah gatherings. They'll say, well, they've already been cooperating with Bahrain and the UAE for a long time, and even Saudi Arabia. And for a long time, I mean five, six years. What's the big deal about an official announcement? Okay. Now, the first part of what they're saying is true. There has been some cooperation for a few years. The second part is not. It is, it is a big deal. For anyone who knows Arab culture, to a wider degree, Muslim culture, Middle Eastern culture, public displays of friendship and affection, or at least in this case, just some kind of partnership, that are backed up by private conversations, private actions, are extremely important. Public displays mean something in the Arab world a little bit more than a photo op does in the secular 
um, waspy world or whatever you want to call it, white bread, (laughs) you know, our, our sort of Western civilization type world. It means so much more. And even with, even if it didn't, the fact is there's been an increase in that cooperation anyway. So for, in other words, there's been, yes, there's been cooperation behind the scenes under the radar a little bit between Bahrain, United Arab, Arab Emirates, and Israel, and of course, to a large extent, Saudi Arabia, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But ever since these peace deals were announced, there's been even more cooperation. So it's taking a next, a next step. We've had these official delegation visits to the United Arab Emirates from Israel, which is a big deal. You've had more business deals made. Now, the official sovereign wealth funds of UAE and Bahrain have yet to invest in Israeli businesses, but I think that's going to come soon. But even without that, you've had a couple of deals announced already, and you can find them if you look at my Twitter feed, which is something you should be following all the time anyway. My Twitter feed is at JakeJakeNY. And for example, a number of the articles and, and statements I'm making on the show right now, you'll find more explained on my Twitter feed. I'm going to refer to some columns I've written and some other things that have been written by other folks. You always check that out and read the, the fuller, the fuller uh, version of everything that I'm talking about on the Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY. But anyway, um, there have been more deals made ever since these uh, peace agreements have been announced. So by every shape and measure, this is a big deal. This is a real deal. And it's something that we should celebrate on Rosh Hashanah after what's been such a tough year. I mean, mostly because of COVID-19. This has been a tough year. But, and it's been tough in Israel you know, more than a lot of other countries, COVID-19 has been. Even before COVID-19, it was a tough year since last Rosh Hashanah in Israel with these elections that Israel has been unable to really come to a a solid settlement. They're sort of not having elections now. They've reached the, the stability of still having Benjamin Netanyahu as their prime minister, but it's still a precarious situation in the Israeli government, and it's been more it's been more, di- you know, it's been more difficult than usual. Even you know, Israeli politics has always been kind of spicy and prickly. It's been tougher in the last couple of years, and that's something that's regrettable. But terror attacks have been generally down, but there have been a lot of rocket firings over the last year. There's been, a, there's been, there's, you know, there's been some tough things about the year in Israel. But of course, the COVID nineteen impact has been the worst, and. This is something to be really happy about. This is something to really celebrate. And there's going to be, you know, a peace signing deal this week in Washington. And again, there is a a feeling that there are going to be even bigger deals announced soon. Now, the biggest fish, as I said, I was going to talk about it, the biggest fish, you know, still to be hooked with an official peace deal is Saudi Arabia. Now, in a lot of ways, Israel has already a better partnership with Saudi Arabia than it already has with the UAE and Bahrain. Uh, This really began in 2014 when it started to look like the Iran nuclear deal was going to happen, which it did happen. It did happen in 2015. That's when it was agreed to and signed. But in 2014, when it was looking to all parties like it was going to happen, Israel and Saudi Arabia started a more increased partnership. Now, they had communicated at times before over a number of things, but this was the biggest increase in their collaboration and their partnership as they really looked for ways to try to first stop the Iran deal or at least water it down as much as they could and then start working on coordinating a military response because as the Israelis and a lot of other experts correctly said, the Iran deal, which was promised to the world as something that would freeze the Iranian march to a nuclear weapon for at least 10 years, was actually going to speed it up. 
And worse, in that 10-year period, Iran was going to immediately get a massive amount of funds which they would use for terror attacks on their Muslim country neighbors and on Israel. Which is, and both of those things happened. We know that Iran did not slow down its march to nuclear weapons. That was proven pretty definitively by, by Prime Minister Netanyahu at the UN a couple of years ago, and now it's been confirmed by even the BBC, which is no pro-Israel outfit. And even the UN has, you know, some of the UN agencies have confirmed it as well, that the Iranians just moved their nuclear bomb research sites to another place. So we knew that that didn't work. <laughs> Iran didn't really slow down on that. And then the next thing we found out was, as again, as expected, the billions of dollars that Iran got because of the Iran nuclear deal were immediately pushed back out to their terrorist activities all over the world, but particularly in the region. They boosted their support for the Houthi rebels in Yemen in that brutal civil war that's been going on. It doesn't get a lot of coverage, but it's true. They gave a lot more money to Hezbollah and to the Assad regime in Syria for all the killing they're doing in that area. And there's a lot of other examples. But it was just a terrible deal, and it was a great move by President Trump to take the United States out of it and to sort of cut off some additional funds going to Iran. Iran's economic situation has weakened. So, yes, that, it, it, there was a success there. So not, it's important that not only did Israel and Saudi Arabia work together to try to stop the deal, but I think both nations look at each other now and say, hey, it's a good thing we did this. Because we were able to present a united front to the Trump administration once he got elected a couple of years later and show the president, the new president coming in at the time, that they would support him and help him getting out of the Iran deal. And I, th- and I think that they feel that militarily and, and, and tactically, they're also more prepared. They've been sharing information, intelligence information, the whole thing. And then, of course, something else happened in Saudi Arabia, which is there was a change in leadership. Now, they still have King Salman, but he had a different crown prince. Another one of his sons was going to take over as king. But then King Salman in 2015 decided to switch over, actually 2016, decided to switch over to Mohammed bin Salman, who at the time was only 32 years old, very young, new crown prince. And that means he's really running the country. He'll be the next king. And since then, he's really been running the country. And he has another major item on his agenda, which has really helped push the partnership with Israel into a a better place, which is he really is worried about oil. He knows that Saudi Arabia basically only has oil. That's basically all they have economically, and he knows that can continue. Now, he also knows that he can't truly completely diversify the economy of Saudi Arabia. We're not going to see Saudi Arabia with 50% oil revenues and 50% coming from other things. That's probably never going to happen. But if he can get it to 80-20, 80% oil, 20% other things, that would be a big leap for that country, and that's what he's kind of gunning for, and he knows. Just as... Arab countries knew a century ago when they were more favorable to a Jewish state and to Jewish people, Jewish settlers and, and, and Jewish people coming back to the Middle East from Europe and boosting the existing Jewish community in the Middle East. He knows that if the Middle East wants to have, if Arab countries in the Middle East want to have a better economy, having a Jewish state as part of that Middle East will help. And bin Salman knows that. And he's known it for a long time. And so The partnership between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which got a lot better because of the Iran threat, has started to improve even more over the last couple of years because of the economic opportunities that Israel offers to countries like Saudi Arabia. And there are a lot of different examples of this. Obviously, Israeli tech is a big part of it, which will help them produce their oil more safely and and, and create other types of tech uh, economic opportunities. But there's also the case of just bringing Israeli financial innovation into 
that country, showing them how they can manage their finances in another way, getting them more access to even non-Israeli and even non-Jewish investment groups. Like once Saudi Arabia makes it clear that you can go back and forth from Israel and that there's no boycotts going on and all that kind of political nonsense, it will bring more investors of other kinds into the country. And so Bin Salman knows that, and that's what's been going on in that country for the last couple of years. Now, the question is, will Saudi Arabia make an official peace deal with Israel anytime soon? Will it happen before the election, our presidential election in this country? Will it happen before the end of the year? Will it happen in the next year at all? I think the chances are somewhat good for that. And I think that a couple of things have happened in the last week that have made that the chances for that even better, and that's coming from the side of the Palestinians. Now, the Palestinians have strongly denounced the UAE and the Bahrain peace deals with Israel because the Palestinians believe that they've been abandoned by other Arab countries. The Palestinians demand that the Arab countries not make peace with Israel, not make any deals with Israel until they are somehow satisfied. Now, I would say the answer is until they get Palestinian statehood. But anyone who's been following the situation in the Middle East knows that the Palestinians have been offered statehood or a pretty good path to statehood many times. In fact, I would say the Palestinians conservatively have been offered a path to statehood or out-and-out official statehood 11 times since the 1930s. 11 times. And they've rejected it every time because they don't want a state if there are going to be any Jews in it, or if there's going to be a Jewish state next to it. They don't want it. So they continue to embrace this kind of loser mentality of all or nothing. You know, if if you ask for all or nothing, you're probably going to get nothing most of the time, especially if you're in a situation like the Palestinians who, other than terrorism, don't have anything really to use as leverage. And their terrorist threats have been greatly reduced over the years, but mostly because a lot of the money from Saudi Arabia that used to come from pro-Saudi or actually Saudi sources has dried up for the last couple of years because of this partnership between Saudi Arabia and Israel. But the Palestinians were hoping for the Arab League last week to also denounce the UAE and also denounce Bahrain for this peace deal. And guess what? It didn't. The Arab League decided not to agree with the Palestinians' objections, decided not to denounce the peace deal. And that, folks, is also a big deal. In many ways, it's just as big as the peace deal itself, the peace deals itself. It's a very big deal. The Arab League not even posing, not even put, putting a, a, just a, even a rhetorical or just a, a statement out there that they're against this deal because the Palestinians haven't been included in any kind of offer or, or, or been given what they wanted. It's a very big deal. And it just goes to show that the wider Arab world now is not seeing the kinds of positives it thought it saw in the past from taking up the Palestinian cause. For years, I guess they felt that this was a good way to keep their own populations distracted from economic hardships. They could just say, well, you know, we're, we have a terrible enemy in the region, Israel, and that takes precedence over everything. We'll get to, to dealing with the fact that our country is, is poorly educated, poorly, uh, has poor facilities, doesn't have great economic uh, outlook, all that kind of stuff. For years, that's what so many Arab dictators and leaders told their countries. And now they're seeing another path, which is, gee, if we follow the Saudi, UAE, Bahrain path, we, we may have... We may get to a place of economic prosperity, 
And we don't really need to lean on the Palestinians and use Israel as a diversionary excuse so much anymore. Let's go this way, because this is a chance for us to actually get somewhere. And it's a loser mentality of the Palestinians who continue to reward failure, continue to reward terrorism and killing. If a Palestinian businessman made a deal with Israel to develop a big town or to develop a big company, the Palestinian Authority would more likely, and the Hamas would more likely threaten that man's life than to say, hey, let's, let's get more of this, folks, to go to their people and say, let's, to reward him. They would actually try to punish him. I mean, this is how mixed up it all is. I know this is nothing new to most of you listening to this, but you have to remember what we're talking about here as far as trying to get on a winning path versus trying to get on, get on a losing, losing path. Now, of course, the big domino here still is Iran. And anyone thinking that this is still mostly about Iran, I think, is correct. Again, I think it's about 75, maybe 70 percent about standing up to Iran. These Arab countries, these Saudi client states, in some ways, Bahrain and UAE, pretty much under the thumb of Saudi Arabia. This is pretty much them acting as the, 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 the original folks who are going to like kind of the first toe in the water, the, the pilgrims, so to speak or the, the, basically the, the first folks going over into the water and making this official deal so Saudi Arabia can look at it from afar and say, okay, this is working out, we'll do this next. And it's mostly about standing up to Iran. But again, it's also a lot about the economy and, and, and diversifying their economies and getting all the positives they can get from a, from, a, from a relationship with Israel. But there's another thing going on here too. Folks, when, think, think about in your own personal life or in school or when you're watching a sports game. That's actually a great analogy when you're watching a sports team. When do most people start coming out of the woodwork to support, again, I'll start with a sports team or an idea or a company. When did that happen? When it looks like, and the answer is when it looks like that team's about to win, when the team gets hot. And since Iran is the situation, it's pushing back against Iran is such a huge reason for this stronger partnership, these stronger relationships between Israel and its Arab neighbors. That should tell you all you need to know about what's going on in Iran. And that is the wider Arab world is looking at Iran and truly believes this country is on its way down. This regime is on its way out. This is a, there's a bandwagon effect going on here. In other words, they see what's going on in Iran. They've had two massively brutal protests movements going on in Iran just in the last three years. They've lost a lot of money from the renewed U.S. sanctions. They've been crippled by COVID-19, probably worse than any other Middle Eastern country. We'll never know the numbers for sure, but it looks like Iran has by far had the most deaths, deaths and other things like that. And so now it's time to jump on the bandwagon because you don't want to wait for Iran to completely, the, Iran, the Iranian regime to completely crumble and then join in because then you're just really a Johnny-come-lately. But there still is a bandwagon effect going on here. This isn't just Israel and Saudi Arabia against the rest of the world now. Now the rest of the region is looking at Iran. And of course, the, the other thing that, I, that, that I'm talking about, again, you, and you read it from me first exclusively when I reported a couple of months ago, that there are high, high-level people in the Iranian regime who are giving Israel and the United States the information about where all the Iranian weapons are, both in Iran and in the wider Middle East. And so these countries are seeing all these weapons storage facilities getting blown up and, and, and things like that going on. So there's a bandwagon effect. There's a belief now that Iran's regime is teetering on the edge. 
And this is a good time to make a deal with Israel, to, to show Saudi Arabia that you support their, their stronger friendship with Israel, to show, very importantly, the United States that you support its standing up to Iran, in this case, the Trump administration. And that's what these countries are doing. There's a bandwagon effect here. And then there's one final reason for all of this that you can tell all your friends and family at Rosh Hashanah, which is look at the darn oil price, folks. The oil prices right now have been in the basement for a long time. COVID-19 slammed them even further lower. We're at $37 a barrel right now. Remember, we were at $100 a barrel not that long ago. And if you adjust for inflation, we're really at, a, at, at really close to an all-time low for things like gas price, gasoline prices, and, and, and all kinds of energy prices right now. Not so much your, your summer heat, uh, cooling bill, because that's connected to natural gas, and natural gas has been on the rise a little bit. But, but oil prices and gasoline prices are really, really low. So that's, what's that doing? Well, that's yet another shot in the arm for the Saudi and other Arab countries' initiatives to push to get something else other than oil onto their balance sheet. I, I've noticed in, in, over the last 50 years or so that when the price of oil goes down, the chances of peace in, in the Middle East start to go up because those countries see less of a possibility of them being able to continue to survive based on just one commodity. So with oil at $37 a barrel, Iran's regime looking like it's teetering on the edge, or that's the belief at least privately held by a lot of Arab countries, it's time for a little bit of a bandwagon effect, and that's what's happening. That's why Bahrain joined in with the United Arab Emirates. That's why Oman might also officially join in. And that's why Saudi Arabia, I think, every day is getting closer to making an official deal as well. Because so far, the, the, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of coverage. I know a lot of people are complaining, gee, why aren't the American news media companies covering this peace deal more? Folks, I want I everyone to stop complaining about what the American mainstream news media, and by that I mean the CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, New York Times, Washington Post. I want everyone to stop complaining about what isn't covered in those outlets, and I'll tell you why. The reason is most people in the world, including most people in America, are now getting their news from social media, which means that you can get on social media and you can report it, quote, report it. You can talk about it. You can post about it. This is the same thing. I felt the same way for years about people who complained about Israel not doing enough, the Israeli government not doing enough to push its own public relations. Folks, Israel's public relations and news that's important to us is our job to get out. And now we've long had the tools to do so. Not only do we have social media as an option, but as I just said, folks, social media is the source of news for most people in this country and the world. So, just get the story out yourself. Talk about how you're happy about this peace deal. Post it. Do it more than once. You don't have to waste time at work or take time off more important things to do it. Just post it. You don't have to get into an argument you know, when people comment and stuff like that. You, don't have to, you can ignore that. Just post it as much as possible. It'll get out there. And it is getting out there. And I think what the Saudis are seeing is all the factors that drew them into a, a stronger partnership with Israel getting bolstered. The price of oil isn't going up. The Iranian regime looks weaker and is flailing about even more. And what, co- what coverage there is being done of the peace deal is positive. And the Trump administration is really happy about it. And President Trump's really proud of his role in helping to broker it with Jared Kushner, his son-in-law. So, yes, it hasn't been on the front page of all the papers in the United States, and we get it. We understand why. They will not publish or do much that any- of anything that makes President Trump look good, and we know that already. 
But we can beat that, and we should be beating that and not, com- and not just complaining to each other about it by putting it on our own news feeds, on our own social media feeds, and you'll see plenty of it on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY. But Saudi Arabia is seeing it, and that is why I think that the chances are rising every day. I still don't... I, I doubt Saudi Arabia will announce or at least sign a peace deal with Israel before our election on November 3rd. But I think the chances are getting better. And I think the chances are pretty good that it might happen before the end of the year. And I think maybe Saudi Arabia might just be waiting for to see what happens in the election. I think, I think if President Trump is reelected, Saudi Arabia might within a week or so uh, make that announcement and sign that deal or at least say g- give a date for the deal. They might be still being a little bit of cautious, put a little cautious about it. But let's see where the polls go. Let's see what happens. I think there's still an outside chance that there will be a deal announced between Israel and Saudi Arabia and some other types of deals between Israel and its Arab neighbors. Just keep your eyes open for them and publicize them yourself. You don't need, you don't need the American newspapers or the American big companies to do this job for you. Because, again, most people are getting the news from social media right now. You can go into the archives here on the Nachum Siegel Network and take this radio program when it's archived later. You know, uh, it'll be archived on, by the end of the day, Monday. And you can share it. And you can say, here's what I heard on, on Novak now on the Nachum Siegel Network talking about the peace. And it has just as much a chance to get out to the public as something that's going on in a, in a public that's actually willing to listen and isn't already just preaching to a choir than anything else. There was a, the Pew Research Center came out with a, with a study, I guess at the end of last week or over the weekend that showed that the New York Times is pre, has an almost completely Democrat readership. So she, yeah, the, you know, the New York Times is going to have more readers than you probably have followers on your social media feed. But none of those people are going to be convinced of anything one way or the other. You have a chance to be more influential is really the word I should use. Because you have a chance to inform people who don't already know something and may not have already made a predetermined opinion about all of these news events. So you don't have to complain too much about it. You can do something about it now. Social media has given you that opportunity, and it is overall more powerful than the established media companies. So, again, this peace deal, this is, these peace deals are the big news to talk about at Rosh Hashanah. These are the things to be thankful for both in our community and thankful when, you know, when we're davening, you know, obviously we're spending our time on Rosh Hashanah and going into Yom Kippur asking for forgiveness and hoping for a, a good year to come. But anyone who understands the way that we do praying and we think about things in, in our tradition, we never really flat out, we hardly ever really flat out ask for anything. We kind of do it the, the sly way where we say, hey, <laughs> you know, Lord above, you've given us, you've given us, you've given us all these great things in the past. And it's kind of a nudge to say, you know, please continue to do that. So one of those things that we can really be thankful for and say, hey, give us more of this in the coming year. Give us more of these peace deals. Give us more of this hope for a future in the Middle East. And yes, we know it's not perfect and we know not everything is going to be completely lovey-dovey between Israel and its Arab neighbors ever. But this is, a, this is a future that where we feel like we can live, where we feel like we can live free of war and terrorism and these kinds of things. This is actually something that we think is possible. Everybody, please have a Shana Tova Mutuka. I'll speak to you again in the new year. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network.